You're listening to episode 19 of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast. Hey guys, today's episode is sponsored by This Mama Means Business Podcast and its lovely host and upcoming guest of the pod, Kylie Kelly. When you finish listening today, make sure you check her out. Welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, a place where you just might find or hear a tiny piece of your motherhood reality. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, an educator, writer, and emotionally frazzled toddler mom. If you've ever felt lonely in your motherhood journey or asked yourself, am I the only one experiencing this? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each episode focuses on a different but common motherhood struggle, where we discuss the ups, the downs, and the WTFs with moms from all around the world. So whether you're stroller pushing and podcasting yourself around the neighborhood, waiting at the doctor's office for your next fertility treatment, or listening with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end of another full day of motherhood, welcome. I hope you can relate to some of what you hear in today's episode, and get ready to raise your hand if you do. Hey mamas, welcome to the show. I'm your host Raylan Minka and in today's episode we're talking about blended families and the challenges and complexities that come with being a co-parent or step-parent within them. I'm joined by Amy Stone. She's a life coach, blended family expert, and ninja-level communicator. She helps parents and step-parents in blended families to find and create more joy and happiness in their lives and their situations. As usual, I'll be sharing a few thoughts from blended family mamas in the Raise Your Hand community, so stick around for some more motherhood reality. For joining me, Amy, thanks for being here. I'd love to just start off with some general introductions. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, your passions? Absolutely. I would love to. So my name is Amy Stone, and today I am a life coach who works with flustered step-parents and adults in blended families. And my goal as a life coach when working with these individuals is to help them find more happiness and joy in their life. Um, And I am a step-mom for over 20 years. My stepkids are grown and I have two biological kids that are teenagers, um, which is relevant because I've been in this journey for a long time, which is why I threw that in. So my passions in life are actually um, varied. Um, My biggest personal passion is running and triathlon. Uh, My professional training, when I was a young person, I trained to be a journalist, um, a photojournalist. So those are some of my passions. None of those are grow up and be a life coach for step parents. Um, That is feeling like a calling right now because it is so in tune with what my personal journey is. But I'm always happy to share with people that 20 years ago when I started this journey, I did not know that this is what I was going to be doing. Um, I'm not an expert parent or any of those things. So when I share my experience and the lessons I've learned, I just want to throw that in there. Like some of it, I wasn't paying attention. I was just trying to make it through. <laughs> can, you, can you go back and tell me a little bit more about your motherhood story and how your personal experiences, you said 20 years ago, um, you entered a family, yeah. became a step parent. Can you talk about that more and how that might have steered you towards this direction and this uh, profession that you're in right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, 20 plus years ago, I got an invitation to a happy hour. A coworker asked me to go with a group for drinks after work. 
And I, we were the only two people that showed up. And um, he, my husband and I tell this story differently. I'm pretty sure that he knew that that was the way it was going to be. And he still maintains that other people were supposed to be there. Um, but I was not uh, interested in getting married. I was not looking for a serious relationship. I was just, I was in my 20s and I was having a great time being in my 20s. Um, over the next year and a half, I did fall in love with this person who had been married and divorced and had two small children. And uh, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't anything that I sought out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I became a step-parent, um, I had that worldview that many of us do in our mid-20s, which is that I was pretty sure I knew what I was doing and what I what to expect. And for any of your listeners who are in your mid-20s, you might be feeling that, and that's like a totally wide, encompassing, common view. But those of us who are older can look back and realize that we were totally wrong. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. I just didn't know it. And you could apply that to every phase of my life. I, you know, you're a brand new adult. You don't know what you're doing. So um, it wasn't something that I thought a lot about. My parents are divorced, uh, so I didn't have any preconception of what it should be. And that's probably one of the reasons I can also look back and see that there were people in my life who did point out that this might be a tough journey. Um, and I didn't really want to hear it. Okay. Um, and so that was, that's the start of my journey. How early was that in the relationship, the dating or whatnot that, that people were maybe starting to point that out to you? Probably pretty late. I specifically, you know, we listen to what we want to hear. Um, especially when we're in love, love colors, everything, you know, and, uh, that's the way that goes. So, but I do remember, uh, my mom specifically saying, are you sure you want to take this on? Mm -hmm. And when she said that to me, I thought she was judging me as a young adult. And now looking back, I think that probably she was really saying, you know, this is going to be a lot like, are you, you know, but I, I couldn't see that then. Um, And now I equate that to the same way before you have biological children, people tell you that you're not going to get any sleep Mm. and, you know, they tell us and we know, and we think we know what's coming. But then when you get in it, you realize, oh my gosh, I had no idea what this was, but it's not because people didn't tell us. It's that we didn't have what we needed to understand what it would be. Yeah. You just didn't understand. Um, Yeah. Have enough information. Right. So what were the biggest struggles that you faced as a step-parent in those sort of first years? So the biggest struggle that I faced, um, and this is this is through the lens of looking back at it from a long right. time ago, I was generally overwhelmed and discontent. Um, and the way I describe it now looking back is that what I thought my life would be, like my expectation of what it would be to be married in a family with um, stepkids was completely different from the reality of what it played out on a day-to-day basis. And none of the tools that I had in my toolbox as a young woman were working to make it better. Um, And so that caused frustration Mm -hmm. and discontent. And also I was given what I can look back now and see was advice that did not work for me. And I still hear the advice given to others in the same way. And so I give sort of contrary advice to the people that, uh, that I work with. And what was that advice? So there's a lot of advice that is given to people who are entering blended families to step back, to 
really take on a, a sort of a caricature of yourself mm, interesting. Um, to prioritize the other family and the needs of other people. And even, you know, for the stepmom to actually take it upon herself to bow out of parts of the first family life. And this may work in some situations, but it left me feeling very much like a second class citizen in my own home. And so it was really, really harmful for me. And my happiness began when I actually did the opposite, which was leaning into, you know, what, what do I need to be happy? Like, where do, where do I fit? Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That I um, had never heard it really expressed like that, but I can see how that maybe feels or felt at the time. Right. Yeah. No, people, it's pretty common. People are told, you know, leave the house when the stepkids come over. Oh, right. That's pretty. I mean, I, like, so it's like, hey, you know, if you don't, if you're uncomfortable with their around, go ahead and leave the house. And that that does solve that problem. But if you're going to make a family with people and you live in the house, think about what strange advice that is. Yeah. If you feel like your only option is to not be there. Right. Um, or, you know, take on the role of an aunt or take on the, I was told, take on the personality of a camp counselor. Oh, wow. And that actually did work. Okay. Right. It did work. I think the kids were happy. And I think that my husband was happy. Um, and the person who wasn't happy was me. Okay. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what the, what the, I, I heard you use the term first family, what the first family dynamic was with your partner and maybe his ex um, and maybe custody? Like, how was that working in your family unit? So I'm actually really lucky. The mom of my stepkids is very involved as a primary caregiver. um, And the relationship has always been cordial. There there are always issues, right? Because it's a complicated situation. So there's always uh, communication that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. But there was a level of civility and compassion that was always there. And the adults the parents, the biological parents of my stepkids are very, very involved. So they had a pretty traditional divorce arrangement where my husband's job was such that he was not a weekday parent. So it was like one night during the week and then the alternating weekends with the kids. And that is still true. With this past weekend, we just were all present for my stepson's wedding and we were all there um, and everybody was involved. So I'm very lucky from that standpoint. um, And I'm also very compassionate with the reality that uh, it takes all the people to agree that that's the goal and that there are many situations that are much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And where was it, Amy, you spoke at the beginning of the interview about how you studied photojournalism and you have these other really strong passions. Where was the moment in your motherhood story where you sort of went, okay, no, I want to become a life coach and I want to help other women who are going through this same thing as me? That's an excellent question. I love the way you phrased it. So um, I was uh, running my house, raising the kids, being a stepmom, and my hobbies were running in triathlon. And so eventually somebody was like, hey, you should you know, be a coach for runners and triathletes. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then they asked a bunch of times and I was like, okay, fine. So for uh, about seven years uh, before this, Leading and leading up to the pandemic, I had a side hustle of coaching runners and triathletes. And what is funny about that is that I loved the talking to people and coaching, but I was actively training for my own events. 
So I didn't do the thing in that business that everybody always wanted, which was I wasn't actually leading group workouts. Okay. And so people would hire me and I was like, yes, here's your instructions. And they were like, will you hold me accountable? I was like, I'm happy to teach you how to be accountable to yourself. (laughs) You know, are you doing any swim workouts? No. And I once hired a business coach for that business who thought it was hilarious. He's like, I can't believe that you have this like thriving business and you don't do the thing that people want you to do. And I was like, I know. (laughs) But as when we went into the pandemic, um, all the races shut down and I signed up for a life coaching certification because I wanted training and helping my runners and triathletes with their motivation and things. And I realized I didn't have the skills to do that. Um, And I was very passionate about those things. I'd love to talk to people about that, but that's different from coaching people on those topics. So that was the drive that got me into life coaching certification. I have worked with life coaches for uh, several years before, not actually as a stepmom though. When I was an early stepmom, I worked with um, therapists primarily. I didn't know that life coaches existed. Right. I think that maybe if it was today, I would find myself with life coaches. So then as part of the life coaching certification, that's a really, really you know, self-exploration journey. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision to stop coaching runners and triathletes. And then the decision to coach step parents really was a matter of fact decision of who, what's the best group that I can really help that is where I have experience and I can use my coaching tools to really help them get an important transformation. And um, I said to my coach uh, one time, like almost as a whisper, I was like, what if I coach step parents? And she was like, oh my gosh, I think you could really help a lot of people. Yeah. Because it is actually a very underserved market. People get into this spot and a lot of the tools that are offered are more along the lines of lawyers and counselors and mediators. And the focus is very much on fixing problems versus how to be happy in your life. Hmm. And can you tell me about the, the types of clients that you work with? So it really is a mixed bag. Um, I almost always have one guy in the mix, okay. right? So that was right. And, um, and I use the word step parent to be, you know, to be inclusive, but I am a woman and I identify as a woman. I'm happy to help anybody who will do it, but I, you know, I do tend to attract women. And I think that women are generally more likely to reach for a life coach mm. is the reality of the marketplace. But, um, I get either people who are, um, looking down the road and they're engaged or they think they're going to be engaged and trying to make the decision to either do it or they will come to me with the question of how do I avoid the problem? Like train me first, which actually is very interesting because my husband and I did do premarital counseling Mm -hmm. for that exact same reason. I think that's a brilliant thing to do. Or the other group is um, people who are within about the first two years of the marriage who are, you know, really struggling or, wondering if they made a mistake or trying to save the relationship. And I have a couple of other people who come to me at times where there's like a life change. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the one group of kids is growing, uh, is aging out of the house or something like that. And they all of a sudden are having a shift where the dynamics are changing again and they're looking for somebody to help them with a roadmap. Okay. So what are the most common struggles that you work with step parents or people in these situations? The identity shift is a real struggle and it happens to everybody and it's a problem for everybody. So there's, you know, so many times that our identity shifts. Mm -hmm. 
um, from woman to mother, from worker to retiree, from single woman to wife, from adolescent to adult. And those are life shifts, right? And the step-parent evolution is an, an identity shift is another one that happens. And sometimes it's the awareness of taking a step back and saying, oh my gosh, okay, this is a shift. Now, I will admit that the step-parent adjustment is really intense and rapid, but sometimes um, that validation of the fact that this is an identity shift. So when we look at it like that, you know, what, what parts of this, what parts of your old life do you want to hold on to? What parts of the new life do you want to create with intention? You know, so there's a lot of pressure that women put themselves under to fit into an identity that somebody else has defined. I see. Yeah. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And with a step parent, the there is stigma and there is like a, a view, a standard view that people may not want to take. Mm. And, you know, so somebody told me recently that in American pop culture, there's like movies specifically, there's over 400 mentions of the evil stepmom. Wow, interesting. And I honor that, but I think that it's interesting to think about it in that it's like, that's a choice. Like, it's like, if you step back and you say, what type of person do I want to be in this family? What type of family do I want to create? That's very powerful because you don't have to be the evil stepmom. Jumping off of that, what you just said, what type of family do I want to create? What type of family dynamic do I want to create? Something that I heard discussed as a really huge issue in some blended families is the lack of control that is inevitably felt by that person entering the the first family. 100%. And the fact that they're coming into this and how much control do they have over setting boundaries, enforcing rules, parenting the way that they would like to parent as opposed to the way that the first family used to parent or the partner parents or the the ex or co-parent on the other side. Do you coach a lot of women or do you coach a lot of step parents through that? So that is like the, it comes in as the, people call it a difference in parenting styles. Mm -hmm. Um, and the loss of control, the loss of control is really, um, is really a challenge and it is something that, um, again, people want to blame the blended family construct for it. And it's not that the blended family construct is not a component. I just caution people from putting too much emphasis on that because it can very quickly become an excuse, Mm. right? This is hard because I'm a stepmom. And that's a very disempowering spot to operate from, which is just why I I say, hey, just be aware of that, right? Um, My husband and I ended up in marriage counseling over my feeling of loss of control of the family calendar. I very much felt like his ex-wife had control of my weekends. I felt like I nothing I did was showing up. <laughs> I was completely overrun, right? It turned out, like, so we w- went to this counselor. He was working on it. And my husband is not a great communicator of details. And he, we would go to these sessions, which, I mean, he's a very detail-focused guy. So this is a funny part of his personality. Mm. But we would go to these counseling sessions and he would say, yes, I'll do the calendar. I'm going to put everything on the calendar. I'm going to tell Amy all the things. Yes, I'm all in, da, 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 da. And then he wouldn't do it. The weekend would come up and, you know, hey, how come my sister's not at my recital and all of these things? And it's, I didn't know. I didn't know. Anyway, after weeks of this counseling going around and around, my husband did not get any better at putting the details on the calendar. But what did happen was that his ex-wife and his um, oldest daughter, who was, you know, who was probably at that time like 13, 
it became very aware to them that they could not rely on him for this level of communication. And so they began to communicate directly with, with you me, and that fixed the issue, oh, right? Wow. That fixed the issue. And it's super funny because in this wedding that we just talked about, <laughs> I didn't know anything that was going on. I kept saying, I was like, why don't I know this? And then about a week before I was like, I don't know this because the person who has all the details is my husband who never gives me the details. Still to this 20 years later, <laughs> 20 years later. And I reached out to his ex-wife and I was like, can you send me the schedule? And she was like, yes, absolutely. And there it was. So it is one level more complicated, but it's very similar to working on a multi-purpose team mm-hmm. where if you shift the goal away from why am I the victim? Why am I out of control? And how do I want to fix the problem? Sometimes there are options. Now, sometimes there are not, right? And when you feel out of control, that's a horrible feeling, right? It's a horrible disempowering feeling. And there are other options, right? And it's sometimes there are choices about, you know, what choices do I want to make? Because making choices is empowering, mm-hmm. right? That is, that is basically taking power. So I'll give you, um, just this morning, somebody came to me with this. And she was feeling very victimized because she is being asked to take uniforms to the children. Um, Her husband is at work um, and the ex is out of uniforms and the mother-in-law is out of uniform. She's the only one that has them. Mm -hmm. She's like, I just feel like I'm out of control. I don't have any you know, say in this matter. And I said, okay, that, that, that is a choice right there. That's the thing you are seeing yourself as a victim. Right. Because you do have the choice to just not do it. The kids would go to school without uniforms. Mm -hmm. Right. You do have the choice to say, okay, you know, I'm unhappy about this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to choose to do it. I'm the only one who has the uniforms. Do I want to make this choice? But that is the choice. And, and seeing it is where the recovery begins. Mm, Yeah. I really want to jump off of that as well. And I was going to ask you, you state on your website that you help your clients remove the things that they want less of in their lives, like drama and stress. And this point you just brought up of having a choice and I can feel like a victim or I can choose to feel a different way or I can choose to react to this situation in a different way. How do you work with each particular client or step parent to figure out what their needs are and and Every step family has such a different dynamic. So, of course, there are going to be situations where it's not so um, harmonious. Right. It's a little bit more acrimonious. And if someone coming to you really wants to remove drama and remove stress from their lives, but they are only in control of their piece, and maybe a, a big piece that they're not in control of doesn't necessarily want to help them resolve that, what, right. what do they do? Where, where do you go from there? So, that is, uh, yeah, that's a really grown up problem. One of the, when I was a kid, I really thought that being an adult would be much easier than it is, I'll be honest. And I, one of the misunderstandings of adulthood that I definitely had was I thought that the good choices would be clearly different from the not so good choices, right? And my lived experience is very much different than that, right? And if you've got a sick kid in the middle of the night, I wish that there was an easy choice there that you didn't have to be up all night with the sick kid and deal with it. Um, but the choice there is really deal with the sick kid and be unhappy about it or deal with the sick kid and then just be, you know, be honest with yourself that it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will probably end, mm-hmm. right? And so wh- the way I deal with it as a coach is that we take some time and we figure out what is happening in the family. Like who are the people and what are the relationships and where is the drama coming from? Because in all 
families, blended otherwise, all work groups, all co-op associations, the dynamics that create conflict tend to fall into some categories, right? People fight about money, people fight about control, people fight about trust, people fight about, you know, feeling disempowered um, and not being able to make choices. Those are, you know, those are common in just groups, like those happen in work groups and, you know, everywhere. Like, and in a blended family, you do have complicated things because it's, um, it's expanded. And so the struggle between, hey, nobody's doing what I want, <laughs> everybody's choosing to do what the other, other person wants, is a hard one because what's important to me is important to me. And I come to this from the idea that your happiness, your personal happiness is the worthwhile goal, right? And the challenge there, though, is, is that the happiness of other people is also valid and their worthwhile goal. It just doesn't have to be your goal. Mm-hmm. Removing the responsibility of taking over somebody else's happiness is like a really big thing, right? Like, why do you feel the pressure? Like, what is making you unhappy? And then removing that and then creating space to ask the question of what do you want and why do you want it? And then setting up the framework to make that happen. A lot of struggle in families comes down to people not being willing to have hard conversations Mm -hmm. and not knowing how to have hard conversations. So if nobody ever teaches you how to talk about money, maybe you don't ask, or maybe you don't know, or maybe you only know how to fight. And so, but you should be able to talk about money in your house. Like it's a huge thing, right? You should be able to talk about money. Um, so those are some of the ways that I do it. My husband is like bobbing his head along right now as he listens to this, because this is something that we have, that I have an issue with. I have a hard time talking about money. And he says, it's just something that we have to talk about. And it's, we just have to get through it. Right. And having permission to do that. So one of the huge ways this comes up is in chores in the house and behavior in the house. Yeah. And okay. Like that. And the stepmom wants to have more control and do more things. Um, and it, it, you know, it's a process, right? It's a process because you are stepping into um, an existing framework, like with invisible culture, right? It's like, you don't know the rules. The and and they don't know that they're breaking your rules because they don't know your rules. Mm-hmm. So the example I give for this for people, because once you realize that there are all these hidden rule books, then you can begin to say, oh, my gosh, what is going on? Right. So you might feel very offended because people are not behaving the way you want them to. I felt very, very upset that my stepchildren, when they were little, were not as quiet as I wanted them to be. And I've learned now that they were just children. um so the but like so in my family i grew up in a small apartment and we were very quiet at night Mm, like we had all these like rules we were quiet at night my husband's family is not at all quiet they they make all this noise they don't even know they're making noise i'm like why what is up with you people why are you so loud when other people are sleeping they don't even know right they're unaware that they are breaking my invisible rule. And I was unaware that I had an invisible rule. Oh, okay. Um, but once you know, like without blame or anything like that, once you look at it and, you know, it's like you're like, oh, you know, they're constantly breaking this rule. What if there's a chance that they don't know that this is the rule? What if you said, hey, I like it to be quiet at night. <laughs> Why are you opening and closing all of the cabinets at 1130? You know, like... Um, then you can have a very friendly discussion because the other side of it might be, I don't know. And when you have children, right, they are just following the framework that their parents gave them mm-hmm. and you're introducing a new one. And so I, you can do that by honoring the existing one. It's like, hey, in the old house, in the old framework, right, like this may have been this and, and so on. So I'll give you an example from my own family. 
my stepdaughter and I used to fight about sitting on the couch. Um, she would get very upset when I sat in a certain spot and she was a child. So this was just her being frustrated and upset. Like she didn't have any words to explain it. Turns out that we had the same couch that used to be in her other house, right? So for her, Uh this was her dad and the exact same couch. And I was sitting in a place that I didn't belong. And except I didn't know that because I didn't have any of that history, right? I didn't have any of that history. And she's a child. She doesn't know that, right? And so I remember the therapist being like, hey, have you tried sitting in a different spot on the couch? And, and I did and, you know, so on and so forth. And then that's how we pieced it together that she was trying to hold on to this other thing. The way we actually solved it was by buying a new couch. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, Right. By buying a new couch. And so it's like, you go through this process of it's blending is a terrible word because it like means like, you know, if you think about a blender, you chew it all mixing it up and mush, right. It really is sort of honoring what was there before and very gently introducing new different techniques. Like, um, like a sifted well, family. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think of it more like a tapestry. Mm. Like you're sort of weaving a tapestry. Like, you know, like this thread is over here and now it's over there. Um, and and I, the reason I love that is because the threads never come together. They're like side by side. Um, and so piecing out together the things and honoring the different, I don't know, it works well in my mind. Yeah. So I feel like I'm piecing together from this from the conversation that we're having that you're helping people a lot with learning how to communicate and have difficult conversations sometimes and also learning how to let things go sometimes. Yeah, sometimes, which is really hard. Letting things go is really hard. So I have a foundational belief that most people um, really desperately want to be seen, heard and feel valued and loved. And so when when we get these feelings of discontent, it's like, you know, tuning into where are those things lacking um, is really is can be really helpful. And it is it's not always easy. Like so and it, that's not unique to blended families. Parents of adolescents um, go through a lot of struggle letting go. It's really hard to let kids make mistakes and experience the ramifications of their poor decisions. Um, but we all go through it and we can probably all remember doing that as ourselves as a lesson, adolescents. And so uh, in a blended family, Allowing the other people to be themselves is a piece of the puzzle, Mm -hmm. right? Is a piece of the puzzle. So allowing them to have the relationships with everybody else in the family allow is, is equal to allowing yourself to enjoy the experience, right? Which that sounds like it doesn't make any sense, but you know, the kids deserve to be happy in the family and you deserve to be happy in the family. So figuring out what both people want, um, and what they expect and how those two things can interact and where they need to be separated. Mm-hmm. That's the process, right? That's the process. Can I, I, there's something that I would like to just one more thing I'd like to go back to. And that is when you became a parent yourself. So you were a step parent first. And when you became a mother yourself biologically, how did that shift the way that you viewed your family? How did it shift the way that you parented or mothered your children? Oh, huge. Right. So one of the things that like, so I was stunned at how hard the parenting piece was just how much time and physical energy it takes. (laughs) And, um, and it gave me a lot of awareness to why my husband and his wife had been making decisions. Um, 
And so the, one of the things that step parents are very child-free step parents, right? Because people, people who step into step parenting who already have kids, they don't come to it with this perspective, right? But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, well, why do they do this? Why do they do this? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing more? And when I became a parent, I was like, they're not doing more because they're exhausted. <laughs> I get it. They're, they're not doing more because it. they've done everything else for the past 12 years, you know. Um, and the other awareness that I had was that um, I very suddenly became aware of how unrealistic my expectations were for the kids before I had kids. Um, I just didn't know. Okay. I just I thought that they should sit quietly um, in the restaurant and eat with good manners. Um, I thought that they, all of the things that kids don't do, I thought they should be much quieter. And when uh, I went through several layers of realization that that was me, uh, not necessarily them. I, you know, so th- those kind of things definitely shifted it um, in big okay. ways. And it was pretty quick. Like, so I, I, you know, I got married and then like very quickly added two kids. So okay. it was boom, boom, boom. All right. Um, Amy, what has surprised you the most about motherhood in general, about um, your blended family living this life? I was very surprised at how singularly the effort um, falls to the mother um, and how much actual physical time and labor it is. Um, So that was surprising. I was very much more expecting the, you know, Vanity Fair red book version of it, which is, you know, smiles and everybody dressed up perfectly. And so the fact that it was really endless laundry and, mm-hmm. you know, fatigue and sweatpants and never having what you need and never having what anybody wants, that was the big shock okay. um, for me. And then how that impacted me and what I do and with step parents is that is the ability to be compassionate mm. about what other people are going for. It's very easy to judge what people are doing and not doing um, when you haven't walked through it. And I just sort of start from a position that everybody's doing the best they can, right? Now, that might not be very good, right? The day after we have the flu, 100% of what we can do is just not very much, right? right? But it doesn't mean that we're not doing all, all that we can at the moment. And then, you know, really, really, really becoming more aware of being thankful for the people who do step in and help. Um, and do those things. Something that you mentioned at the very top of the interview, and I'll sort of close off with it, close out with it. Um, you mentioned that you didn't have the right tools in your toolbox to sort of figure out how to manage or how to sort of live and exist in this in this family that you entered. My mom always uses a similar analogy of like all the the uh, skills you acquire, you put in your basket, and then throughout life you need to you need to use these pull these skills out and use it there, pull the skill out and use it over there. Um, something that I ask every guest who comes on the show is what is their must have for motherhood? And in this interview, I'd love to ask if you have a must have for motherhood for, from your perspective, or a must do for stepmoms who are just really struggling to find their role within this family. Absolutely. I thought that the answer was that I should work harder. I should take on more responsibilities, that I should work harder, that I should work harder for other people. So I should do more. I should jump in. I should volunteer more. I should make more meals. I should do more activities, all of those things. I should do more. And what I've learned over time is that the the solution is to lean into knowing yourself, right? Knowing yourself and working on yourself, right? Because we cannot dive in. I mean, actually, you can you can dive in to work on other people's problems and happiness and they will let you. You know why? Because it's a great deal for them. <laughs> I 
Like it's a wonderful deal. You know, if somebody showed up on your doorstep and was like, you know what I want to do? I want to do all the things that make you happy. You'd be like, yes, come in the door, come do that. Right. But the only person who is going to prioritize your happiness in your family is you. That You're the only person who can even know what makes you happy. We're the only people who can, you know, know what we want, do all of those things. And so the answer for me has always been reconnecting with myself and doing the work on myself, right? Am I happy, you know, shopping for groceries? Am I happy going to PTA meetings? And those answers are all highly, highly individual, right? So I know a lot of people who are really, really happy at volunteering at the kids' schools, and I'm not, so I don't do it. And one of the greatest moments of my life was when I realized how much I hated that stuff. And I was like, I don't have to do that. Right, exactly. I don't have to do it. I'm so much happier. They send me the email. They're like, do you want to volunteer? And I'm like, no, I do not. You know, like send me the information for where I can send a check. And, and that's me, but other people do get happy with it. And so for me, the big thing is like, you know, we really want to believe that somebody else is going to show up and do the things for us that will make us happy. And I don't know why that is so ingrained in modern women, but it really seems to be very prevalent. And so the message that I just want to preach from the mountaintops is that it's absolutely critical that, you know, you work on yourself and learn what makes you happy and give a voice to the fact that, you know, that's important to you. And as a caregiver, which is a mom or stepmom, right, you do balance that with sometimes you have little people who rely on you for holding their juice box, right? So it's a balance. It's a balance because like, you know, we don't get to, you know, well, actually you can, but most people don't choose to ignore their children. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's just, it's so, it is it, you know, giving that a space to emerge and be like, what, how do I create my happiness in this? And the crazy thing about that is, is that when you lean into saying yes to yourself, the people around you are so much happier. It's like we want to do all the work for other people. We think that that will make everybody happy. And it's like almost always exactly the opposite. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I just want to say, Amy, thank you so much for sharing that final thought. Yeah, I think that's a really great place to end on. Um, Could you tell people how they can find you? Absolutely. So at the start of this, I said my name is Amy Stone, which it is. And the name of my business is Amy Says So, which is a play on that, uh, that parental thing because I say so. So my website is amysaysso.com and I try and keep everything rooted there. I have some free resources um, for pep talks for stepmoms that are there and stuff like that. Okay. Well, I will make sure to link your website and some of these free resources that you mentioned in the show notes so that anybody listening can, can go check that out. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for everything that you had to share today and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I've really had a good time. And now for some blended family thoughts and insights from a few moms in the Razorhand community. To start it off, I know for sure there is no manual for easy co-parenting. As much as there are books and tools that you can use, it is totally up to the dynamic of the relationship to make a co-parenting relationship successful. Communication is the biggest tool and greatest asset that you can have. So if you can develop a stronger sense of communication and figure out what your best modes of communication can be, whether it's through email, text message, even face-to-face, I know it's a challenge depending on whether the relationships are high conflict or not. And if they're amicable, 
and whether there's other partners in the mix or other children in the mix. I know that communication is the biggest tool to making an effective co-parenting relationship. And then a mutual respect for new partners, new relationship dynamics. And as the child changes and as the relationship changes and as they grow up, there's going to be ebbs and flows and there's going to be dynamic changes in the relationships with each parent. And if everyone can just be on the same team, we can put our hierarchy or our power struggles aside and move forward with it all with the goal of the child in mind. When I became a stepmom, one of the many things that I had to learn was that I didn't have any control around what happened at the other parent's house. That was a real struggle for me, and it took a lot of work to let that lack of control go and to have peace with it. It seems easy enough, but when you don't agree with something that's happening at the other parent's house, or you don't agree with something your partner has said or done with his kids, it can become quite difficult to stand back and let it happen especially for me, someone who likes to have control. My partner and I communicated about what happened at our house, and sometimes I had a say and sometimes I didn't because he was co-parenting with his ex and he had to have a positive relationship with her. And that lack of control was really, really hard for me. One thing I expected and knew before entering a step-parent role was that you have to be careful what you say in front of the kids. I always knew it was important to respect the other parent and to never make any disparaging comments in front of the kids. But what I didn't expect was when those comments would be made at the other house about you and how to handle that when your kids tell you. It takes a lot of strength to react in a way that's respectful to the other parent and yourself. One thing that has helped me is by coming up with phrases that I would say. So for example, I'm sorry they feel that way, or it's unfortunate that they feel the need to judge me, but all I can do is control how I react because I can't control how anyone else behaves. It is definitely hard to hear those comments being made, but all I can do is focus on how I react to them. I think no matter what, throughout this process, seeking a registered psychologist or family therapist has been definitely the most important tool and could be the most important tool that you could have just for support guidance how to navigate all the challenges even celebrate the successes I think communication is the biggest tool and hardest piece of co-parenting especially if parents aren't on the same page with their co-parenting values that's the biggest thing to continue building and that will always be a a challenge in any co-parenting relationship no matter how many years you've been separated. Thank you to both of these ladies for sharing a piece of their stories. If you're listening and would like to contribute your thoughts on a particular motherhood topic, you can get in touch with me at raylynminka at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at the raise your hand motherhood pod.
Thanks again for hanging out with me, mamas. I've got a lot of ideas and episode topics brewing for 2023, so I hope you're game to come along for this ride with me. If you're not already a part of the online community, make sure you check out the links in the show notes to join on Instagram and Facebook. Come say hi, meet some other really cool moms, share some laughs, drop some mom truths. It's where I'll be sharing more about some upcoming projects that might be of interest to you, so I hope to see you there soon. All right, mamas, enjoy your day your night, or wherever you currently are in your motherhood schedule, and make sure you tune in again soon. Until next time. Hey, Mama, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I made it for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can hang out together again soon.